Morning, boys. Good morning. <laughs> Good afternoon for Father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What time is it by uh, uh, one, one p.m. So one p.m. Yeah, they, you guys both had me a little nervous this morning. Rob woke up about ten minutes ago, <laughs> and I never sent you the link yesterday. So it was like I I texted you about a half hour ago. I'm like, we're gonna see each other in twenty minutes, and then like five minutes yeah. ago, you're like, yeah, hey, send me the link. And I'm like, holy <laughs> god, I totally forgot. Um. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna spend probably like a half hour on YouTube, just catching up with Father Maudsley because we haven't talked to him in a while. And then we're going to go over to Locals because we're going to be discussing a very sensitive topic. Um, and every time I've seen Father Maudsley address this topic on YouTube, it's very difficult without, you know, raising alarms and stuff. So we're going to switch over to Locals in about a half an hour. Um, but just to start off, I want to uh, talk real quick. Uh, we we addressed uh, something with Father Altman and... Uh, I hadn't watched his most recent video when we talked about it. Um, I was, I was talking Typical about us that, talking about something we haven't. Yeah. Like before. I wasn't even, we hadn't seen his latest video yet. And Nick, Nick was on with us and Nick had mentioned that he saw it. And we, we were talking about father Altman in general. And, um, I like I, people reacted really like he's such a polarizing figure because I, people didn't actually hear what I said. I think I, I honestly don't have an issue with Father uh, Altman's position of coming to the conclusion of on Francis. Like I totally get that. That's not shocking to me at all. My, my criticism was of when he's in front of a crowd, whipping people up into a frenzy, saying things like "God damns certain people." So I like I that was my criticism of him. It had nothing to do with his anger, his justifiably being upset, things like that. But he's such a polarizing figure. You get some people are. You were talking about a, a specific case you witnessed personally. That's it. yeah. When I saw him and I w and I was there for the crowd of it, and it was, it 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 just seemed like um like I've seen other priests have very similar conclusions to him, but they they come off like okay, let's pray for our enemies, pray for those who are in this position. They don't necessarily get people riled up into a frenzy of, you know judging people's souls like that it just seemed a little off to me so but i saw you left a comment on his video too right father maudsley yeah i think he's um facing what most of us are scared to face and he makes a lot more sense than what we see coming out of rome so i, I don't know if bergoglio is the pope or not and i don't need to know but father altman is tying so many things together and making yeah. sense of them and the, a lot of the opposition to him is this idea that to be a good Catholic and to secure your salvation, all you have to do is follow what the man in white in Rome says. Now, this cannot be our Catholic faith, which is then it just comes down to forgetting your own understanding, forgetting your own will of what you believe is good, but just a blind obedience to whatever the person in Rome is saying. That's not Catholicism. And when Francis has done so much that is contrary to the faith, against the faith, 
you, you can't be Catholic and against the Catholic faith at the same time. Mm. And you, you can't be the Pope if you're not Catholic, if you don't have the Catholic faith, if you're constantly attacking the Catholic faith, which Francis is. That's what our eyes tell us and our ears tell us. But we, we can hardly face how appalling that is. And then the people will say, oh, that's never happened in history. But although it's true that there's no new thing under the sun, everything has to have a first time when it happens in history, as it were. God gives us the past to learn from the past. Like when you bring up a child, you don't throw them right into the deep end when they're too small. So yeah. the church gets used to all these different problems with popes and with anti-popes, whatever, perhaps to prepare us for this time now. So we think, wow, you have to know the faith and you have to want it more than anything else or you're going to be misled. I tell you, the 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 conversation we had with you last time, so I gave a talk at that conference, the, uh, can the Coalition for Cancel Priest Conference, and some of the things we talked about when you were on last time, I added into my talk, like the whole understanding of Judas and the betrayal being baked into the story, I really got from having that conversation with you. We had such a great conversation, just understanding that like we really shouldn't be shocked Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us knew it was going to happen this way. I, I think it really, we all expected persecution to come from outside the church on us, right? We're all like, we're waiting on the great apostasy and thinking that means a great falling away from the church. I don't think any of us really thought the great apostasy meant the church herself falling well, away from faith. Jesus told his apostles again and again that the son of man would suffer in Jerusalem and be, be mocked and spat upon and beaten and crucified. And they couldn't take what he was telling them until it actually happened. So, but because he had told them beforehand, it helped them then to know that he's God and everything is in his control. So I think that's where we are now. We couldn't really see it coming, even though with Judas, it is, has been told to us, it's going to come from the bishops in collaboration with the Sanhedrin, who are like the elite Jews. So we have a bishop collaborating with the most worldly force. And that's what's happening now, which we see with Francis closing the churches for the sake of a worldly hysteria to get us all under control with COVID regime. Yeah. Um, and then he's attacking the traditional mass, which is the agenda from the beginning of Satan and those who reject Christ. Because the crucifixion runs through all history. It's, in fact, the big lie goes from the, the beginning of the first generation, lie told to Adam and Eve, so they fell right at the end. But the truth goes from before the beginning and will outlast the lie in the end. The, the, but you, you tell the lie, he tells it again and again to make it happen. It's an imitation of God who creates by speaking, and it happens. The lie is actually told again and again to bring it about like you will own nothing and you'll be happy. They have to say it out loud, yeah. and they're waiting for us to agree with it. They're trying to push us into the lie, which we murder. But the, the comedy from God is that in the end, the betrayer will betray the devil and will turn out to uphold the, the truth of the crucifixion. And that's what I mean about the conversion of the Jews at the end. Um, it, it's all going to work out perfectly. You you can see through every persecution throughout church history, the thing they go for is the mass. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single one. You Really, the uh, the Michael Davies talks on what happened in England 
during the English Reformation, it's almost an identical like thing that happens at the council when they're trying to undo the Latin mass and bring in the Novus. It's, it's really uncanny how crazily similar these, these patterns are. And what nobody's ever seen England, those Michael Davies talks, go watch them. Go listen. Yeah, they're brilliant. The, in England, people were hoping that the mass would come back somehow because somebody else would do it. Somebody else would stand up for it. Apart from those, martyrs and recusants who suffered and were fined and ostracized and imprisoned or martyred who they stood up for the faith and thanks to them we still have it but the big turnaround hasn't yet come for england and i fear that's what will happen with the novus ordo the novus ordo is not an end goal it's a transitional phase to bring us to a new worship which is just about now being proposed a new yeah. form of the mass new rites in zaire or the amazon and it, it's to bring about this one world religion. If we don't stand up now for the traditional mass, and when I stand up, the first thing to do is to go to it, to be there, to adore God there. We don't have to like fight evil head on. We just have to love God fully. And evil has no chance, no chance. But if, if we won't do it now, it's, it's, we can't wait for someone else to bring it back. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of people really uh, what what we've started to really understand in the past couple of years is that your opinion on the Pope is irrelevant to your life of holiness. Like yeah. it just it just is who what Francis is doing in Rome and the things that he's pulling up does not affect how you live your life and a life of holiness. And you can and and really it, my opinion on if francis is a valid pope or not is irrelevant because he does have full juridical authority over what the world sees as the church so what i think of him is irrelevant which is why i never really say what i think of him it doesn't it, mm -hmm. it's not going to affect anything so i've just been really trying to focus on how i'm raising my family raising my children rob same thing i remember like uh, a couple of times like we were talking about it and he's like Anthony, this doesn't matter how I'm going to raise my children. It's just mm -hmm. we're we're just going to try to be saints and raise our children to be saints. So it, it, I think, I think the whole idea of everybody making their position public on Francis is something that I mean, it, it is good to hear people come out and just be honest because it takes courage to do what Father Maudsley did. I mean, Father Altman did right. It's like yeah. you can't just he. I mean, a, a lot of people are going to ostracize him for what he said there. Absolutely. So I think if those who have worked things out can speak out as much as they've worked them out, and if a whole bunch of people are saying, look, I don't know, or I'm confused, or I tend towards this or that, good. If some people are more clear one way or the other, just let them speak and uh, without being irresponsible, like to adding to confusion. But Father Altman makes more sense than most priests. The the similar with the mass, you know, people ask, oh, can we go to uh, the Novus Ordo? Can we go to the 62 mass or the pre-55 or the SSPX or the set of contests? Actually, that shouldn't be for lay faithful to work out all the canon law and theology. If you go to a service and it looks like the mass, it looks like Catholic worship, and you find you can pray there, why should you be having to interrogate the priest to find out whether he's validly ordained or not, if that's your what you're worried about. Um, it, that's an absurd standard for how the, the laity are supposed to come to God. So I think if it, if it 
if you can go there and worship God well, good. Yeah. And if you if you cannot for any reason, then you have to search elsewhere and make it your priority to to find a worthy mass. I think you'll end up at the pre fifty five. <laughs> I don't I don't think most people have access to it. That's the thing. And Not yet. So many people have so many people have said that to us. They're like, well, what if I can't get to a Latin mass? I'm like, it is not your fault that the bishops put this the, that they put this liturgy in. It's a, it's really right. not the laity's fault. I'm so glad you said that because like the average layperson does not even have the theological chops to question some of these things. And and a, a part of my my issue with the the um the the official set of a contest position like there's no pope since 1958. I'm not even saying I know the answer to that one, but the idea that people in poor countries without an internet connection like god has always kept his church for the simple the poor and things like that like it's a very american idea and first world idea that there's this no pope since 1958 and you really need an internet connection to research all this stuff and i have a hard time believing that god would make his church so invisible to the poor well no one is cut off from god ever Right. Who, seeks, who seeks him. It's a matter of the, the will. Um, I would say with the pre-55, though, what a very practical thing people can do, or people who just say, I don't have a traditional mass near me. Often, actually, there is one. You just haven't found out about it. So choose a big feast day, like um, our lady's birthday yesterday, or and, and be willing to drive 500 miles to get there for, for a big feast day once a year. Yeah. Or, especially for the Easter Triduum, fly a thousand kilometers to get to a traditional Easter Triduum and spend three or four days there. People go on holiday vacation most years. Choose that. If, if you don't do a retreat every year, do that for the Triduum. And then if you can, if it's easier, if it's in your reach, go there at the big feast days or the first Saturdays or one Sunday a month, whatever you can manage. And if people will do that, the thing will, that's the way it can grow and if you can't get there every week or if you think you can't get there at all you're not cut off from god no one can cut you off from god yeah when uh the so the the when i really really fell in love with the traditional liturgy it wasn't like the first time i went so the, the first time i went was like on accident and i bumped into one because i was looking for i was looking for confession on a weekday and i accidentally went into holy innocence of manhattan and i caught a mass but it wasn't until i uh, went to four traditional liturgies in a row. Mm-hmm. And it was during Advent in 2017. I went four in a row. And once I went four in a row, it was almost like being immersed in it for those consecutive weeks, going back to the new mass felt jarring, like very jarring to the point where it felt Protestant and I, and I, it felt wrong. Like I don't, I can't explain it other than that. So once that happened, I just, I started saying like, it's worth the hour drive every week. I have to just get my whole family in the car and we have to drive an hour to go to mass every week. It is what it is. But the precept of the church is that you have to go to mass once a year. So like you're saying, if you can find a pre 55, you know, it's a 200 mile drive. You're supposed to receive Holy communion once a year. Once a year, Yeah. You, You should be at mass every Sunday, but only in as far as that's morally possible. And if you can't get to a mass that is, worthy where you can pray then that's not your responsibility although in that situation you know again people asking what they can do they should let that be known to their parish priest and to their bishop 
and it, not necessarily expecting that the bishops are going to start providing the old mass. But we, if we're complaining that they're taking it away, we can't really complain if we've we've not informed them of that with yeah. courteous courtesy, you know, and charity. But it, the most important thing is that we have the mass. And so after informing them of that, whatever, then if one if one can't find a mass, one can't find a mass. So um, now, as you so you wrote a series of books. Um, we spoke last time about um, from crucifixion to creation was the last conversation we had. Now, all of these books that you wrote, they're in a series and they're all connected with each other, right? Yeah. So the the most recent the most recent book you wrote was about the conversion of the the people of the old covenant in the end, right? Yeah. So now there's there's a couple of lines in um I guess Romans 9, 10, and 11, where it talks about all Israel will be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get into is that ethnic Israel? Is that uh like did you get into all of that stuff in the book? Or yeah, it's it's spiritual Israel, but okay. it includes those of the race of Israel, if you like. We we hear in the Bible about um those who say they're Jews and who are not, or of true Israelites, that not everyone who's a son of Abraham is a spiritual, has him for a father, as it were. Yeah. There's those who can have Abraham as a father according to the flesh, but the devil as a father according to the spirit, as Jesus says in John chapter 8. But people get very confused about this, I think, and they think, oh, that means Jews are not Jews. And they're making the same mistake of failing to distinguish between the flesh and the spirit. So that the true Israelites are of the spirit. And the whole Old Testament is to be understood spiritually now in the church. So that the the land that was promised to them, it used to be this sand and soil in the Middle East in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. But ultimately, it's heaven, the eternal promised land, really flowing with milk and honey which is the dwelling and the possession of the children of God forever. And if we try to interpret that now as on a material level, which is Zionism, basically, it's ending up, it's impossible. And it's causing all the wars and conflicts we see, not just in the Middle East, but further afield. Um, remind me of a question before I, so well, I don't so, all right so the reason i was asking is because rob and i had 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 spoke about it a couple of times in the past like there's not all jews are israelite or not all jews are israelites but not all israelites are jews because of the the division of the 10 northern tribes and the southern tribe of judah right mm-hmm. so you have you, like at, at a certain point in the old testament you have the breaking of the kingdom where the 10 northern tribes that they they get basically dispersed amongst the Gentiles. Yeah. And the, the Southern, the two Southern tribes wind up being the Jews, right? So it's what there's prophecies in the old Testament about God gathering all of his children in again. And it really does get interconnected with, because the 10 Northern tribes are so dispersed amongst the Gentiles. When Jesus comes by converting the Gentiles, that's how God is uniting those 12 tribes again that mm-hmm. they're so dispersed amongst the Gentiles, they are actually Gentiles at that point, and that's how God reunites them. But at the end of time, we're talking uh, that s- 
spiritual Israel, or I guess ethnic Israel, will be grafted back onto the tree, right? That's that's what really we're talking about. Yes, so God can do both. Um, But if we're understanding it in a temporal materialistic way, when Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 56, says, my house will be a house for all nations, and they will all come. That involves building a temple in Jerusalem, rebuilding it, and expecting that the whole world is going to come and worship that which will only happen under the Antichrist. It will be his throne. Spiritually understood, it's the church is the house for all nations. Um, It's the new Jerusalem that is in heaven. The stones are living stones, spiritual stones built on the foundation stone, which is Jesus Christ, up into the temple of God, the church of God. Because we are each of us the temple of God. If we're baptized, then he dwells in us. So the, the spiritual understanding makes sense in the view of eternity to fulfill all those prophecies and if we want to insist that they be fulfilled in a material way i think we're going totally against god's revelation but interestingly it becomes then a sign for us all to see you see the establishment of israel and the tensions over the temple mount where they want to rebuild the temple this is making visible the deepest rejection of god that's ever been and it can only happen when global powers acquiesce to it. So that when France, Germany, America, with World War One and Two, are acquiescing to this project, and even President Trump and President Putin, who I've got respect for, they both have said to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, yeah, we support your project to rebuild the tom- temple. Putin said, I'm praying for it. This is amazing that leaders of America and Russia are supporting a project 2,000 years long to rebuild the temple, which means to interpret the Old Testament in a this-worldly way instead of in in the light of eternity. And that's why I've written the books. We have to understand the Old Testament. It was either St. Vincent Ferry or someone else, maybe earlier, maybe Hippolytus of Rome. He said, when the Antichrist comes, they will be debating with the experts on the Old Testament scriptures. And the experts, the, the Christians, will not be able to withstand them. These guys are just going to put out a, an interpretation that is going to blow people's minds away. And, and the Christians will fumble and won't be able to stand against it. But I think the simple, faithful Christians, who this is why we're getting ready now not to just follow everything Francis says. Yeah. He wants that temple, mosque, and church, right, in oh, Abu yeah. Dhabi. That, yeah, that, that almost seems like a preamble to it. It is. So well, all right, we're gonna get we're gonna get into this. I really want to get into this stuff. So Rob, put the link for the locals up. Guys, we're not doing this to we want to be able to have a free conversation without worrying about getting this video, you know. Th- you you know how the algorithms work. If we're talking about a very sensitive subject here, and I want to be able to just ask questions freely without worrying about censorship. So it's free. You guys don't have to pay for it. Just click on the link. If you're not already a member, just go check it out. Um, we're going to switch over to locals and I want to be able to really get into this topic because it's, it's a lot of, a lot of it is stuff I don't know about and I really want to learn about, and we're going to be talking about the end times and things like that. So let's head over to locals and let's get into this. Uh, Rob, take us out. Yep. I'm ending the YouTube stream now and okay, we are, hold on. Let me kill Facebook and the Twitter ones too, real quick. I need Rob over here. 
it's great having a, having somebody that knows how to work technology. You have no idea. <laughs> We're older. Rob's a nice young kid. He got everything. He knows how to do everything. Uh-huh. Oh, man. I'm not feeling young this morning. Let me tell okay. you. Um, You want to give everybody a few minutes to jump in? I want to go top my coffee off. Okay. Let, let uh, just just give everybody a few minutes to tap in. If you guys got to complete your drinks or everything, I'll, I'll be down in two seconds. See here, almost okay. We are on locals only now. And is that a video that your members can watch at any point, or is it only when live? Um, it. It would normally stay posted, uh, and, and we can. I think we would. We're planning on keeping it posted, but it's something we could always take down after the live stream too. What's wait? What are you saying? He, he asked if if this is a video that stays posted for our members, or if it's just the live stream. Um. Yeah, and also, uh, we could send you the entire file, Father. So, like, I know you like to take clips of of when you come yeah. on with us and stuff. You'll be able to pick any section you want. Like, I don't look, this may be a fun conversation for YouTube. I just don't want to worry that we're skirting around. What topic. Yeah, that's that's the thing with tyranny. We end up um, self-censoring, self-controlling because we're not sure because there's confusion. Yeah. And, and, and we can feel it, right? We can feel it. It's very real. It's It's so strange. That's really every single show we have, every conversation you have, especially on these big tech platforms, you're tiptoeing around things. It, mm-hmm. It's really, it's really tricky to have real conversations with people on topics and not worry that any moment they could just snatch your platform away from you. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's important to push those boundaries constantly. Yeah. Um, and if you lose a platform for the sake of the truth, you, you don't lose anything for eternity. You lose something for this yeah. life. It's but true. it all it's actually how the truth breaks through is through self-sacrifice um but this so way you, of doing were saying, it. you were saying that like even putin is behind this stuff also like so we kind of see this narrative being told from it, it's so funny because everything is about narrative so you you see russia's propaganda is basically we're this christian nation and we're trying to keep the, we're trying to keep our biblical principles as the as the west falls into this diabolical which we are. I mean, if you really look at what the West is doing, but but a lot of what we're seeing with Russia is propaganda also. They're no less evil than the West. They just maybe for lip service sake will say certain things, but so much foreign policy in America is shaped by this Protestant understanding of the third temple being built and the return of Christ coming through that temple. Have you like what? What is? What even led you down this path to get started on this? And what? What? What have you? What, give us. Give us a little backstory on how this has gone down for you. Um, I suppose it's trying to understand um, the depths of evil in the world. I, I mean, my first research is for truth, but then you run against evil, and I don't want to get into my whole backstory right now but more what you said about the protestant yeah you in america going back on a bit of research i try to understand the reformation in germany and england for example and i've just now coming across books written by jews who say that it was their achievement obviously they're 
opposed to the Catholic Church. And if they can support people in breaking away from the church, which in Germany was very much a financial thing for local princes who had some wealth and wanted to be free from the Catholic powers. And basically, the, the Jews are saying that they were dispersed through Europe, and without them, the Reformation couldn't have happened. But it's wrong for Catholics then to just blame the Jews. It's like with yeah. pornography. It's a very Jewish-led industry. Mm-hmm. But no Catholic who looks at pornography can blame the pornographer. It's their yeah. own sin. It's like usually, you go into a debt, and debt cripples countries and nations, and that's what's bringing about this one-world order. We can't just blame the banks and the usurers. They will have to answer to God for that. But if you go into a debt that you don't need for the sake of some frivolous spending, and we're meant to live in simplicity, whoever whoever we are, like priests especially don't need a lot of money. Lay people normally need a, bit, a good deal more. Mm-hmm. But if we're going into unnecessary debt, we have to answer for that because that's what's feeding the beast. You know, 100 million people who are have unnecessary debts makes a very small group of people very powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's so such we- a great point that you're, because you see what happens when look there, there is a very, there are very uh, powerful people, very powerful Jews behind the banking industry, behind pornography, behind Hollywood, and they are controlling narratives and they are, I mean, you can see just in the, the whole, after after World War II, the narratives that came out, because Rob and I both listened to this thing on Stalin of how evil Stalin was and what he did in the Holodomor and what he did to Catholics in Russia under communism. But you barely hear anything about that. And all you hear about is the Nazi uh narrative right and that's because there are very powerful people that have an influence on that but that but like you're saying it's 100 percent true that you can't like if you get yourself in debt or if you're hooked on pornography you can't blame the person that put it out we are all individually responsible for our own sins they will answer for what they did but you and i will have to answer for what we did yeah so you've you had jews who brought the gospel to the whole world the apostles and their successors right you had a Jew who brought Jesus Christ into the world, Our Lady. So they have been chosen by God to bring the greatest goods to everyone. And without their land, when they lost their land, which every nation needs a land to keep its identity, mm-hmm. they're, they're called, I believe, to, to the land that is the Catholic Church, to be leaders of the Catholic Church. And heaven is their only homeland, so you're not distracted with the worldly temporal things. There is a natural political order, which is which is good. And then there's the spiritual order run by the church above it. Um, and when you, you the corruption of the best is the worst, when we re- reject that call from God, um, then the most damage is done. But we can't solve anything, I think, it, by just pointing the finger. We should be aware of it. We can be aware of it. Yeah. But the, 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 the deepest difference between human beings is our orientation to the crucifixion whether seeing that we see the son of god died to save us because of our sins and we adore him or whether we are indifferent to the crucifixion and excuse it and even mock him now most non-christians like hindus and buddhists the crucifixion wasn't in their text right when they started they they don't take a 
position for or against. But yeah. if they hear about the crucifixion, they'll have a natural sympathy for Jesus. Oh, how he suffered. This poor man that you see the man, how he suffered. And St. John writes 1 John 2, 2, 19, I think. If you don't love your brother who you do see, you can't love God who you don't see. So when you look at the crucifixion, you see your brother. And if you're moved to sympathy and compassion, compassion, it's suffering the passion with him, God will draw you to him. But if you are indifferent to it, so cold-hearted, that this man who suffered so much and who was innocent, and then if looking into his story, if today you justify it, which some Jews do by saying Jesus was a blasphemer or he broke the Sabbath or broke the law of Moses, which he never did, it's as unjust today to say that now as it was then. It's all framed. He never broke the law of Moses. It was the traditions of men, which have no place in God's scheme, that he he challenged. But they justify it now. That is the worst thing you can do spiritually for the whole world. In our heart, in our will, is the lever for you can put that into the hands of God or the hands of Satan to either raise the whole world with grace and light or to sink it into darkness. But by whether or not you love your brother who you see suffering on the cross, because he is God, and you don't know that first time just by looking at the crucifixion. But if 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 you say why did he suffer so much? You begin to find out that he must be God. You find out that he, he, he was, that's the charges against him were blasphemy. What an unbelievable insight. Like your first initial reaction to seeing the God man crucified. If it's, if it's, because I've heard, I've heard like Ben Shapiro um, argue, I think he was talking to William Lane Craig and he actually argued exactly what you're saying, saying, well, no, he was a criminal and he broke the Sabbath and he did all these things. And that that's his indifferent reaction to this innocent man being crucified. But if your heart is moved to compassion, it's, it, it's something in us where I think anyone who's sought will has found like, there's nobody who, when, G, when Jesus says, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. I don't think anybody who's ever genuinely looked for God has not found him because God really Absolutely. does. It's a disposition of the heart. It's not a matter of proof. And it's it can this- take a lifetime. It can take a lifetime. You know, some like St. Therese of Lisieux, they're there when they're seven years old. Yeah. But other people, that's why God gives us 70, 80 years. He knows that your your body grows before let's say your reason you know it's seven year old kid it's the age of reason but before that they're so emotional they're dominated by emotions and it takes a while for the reason to master the emotions but most of us even if you get that stage the age of reason and you can master your body by the time you're 12 or 20 or 40 or 60 or whatever we need the spirit to master the reason as well to purify it what we use our mind for, what knowledge we want, and for what purpose. And that's what the will decides that. That's the ultimate where is, God is, judges us. So I can sh- say God gives oh, I'm us sorry, 70 years because he knows that most people are going to basically work it out almost on their deathbed. Yeah. And to have the Catholic faith before you get to your deathbed, like you young fellas, <laughs> what a gift. You're given decades to raise the whole world decades and and a lot of people figure it out only at the end so it's so funny you're saying that because my mom grew up in a nominally catholic home like when i tell you they you know they put their kids through the sacraments but they never talked about god they never went to mass on sunday my mom at 10 years old walked to mass 
on her own when none of her siblings did, her parents mm. never did it, nothing. Wow. My mom always had this intuitive love for, for God. And it, it really is when, when you see the grace God gives certain people to at that young age, like you were saying, like St. Therese at seven years old had already had that mm. holiness in her. It really is strange to see how God works differently in everybody's life. It took me until my thirties before mm. I really fully gave my life to God. And it's much more powerful than evil. The thing about compassionating our crucified savior, which we're reminded of so powerfully on Good Friday in the old liturgy, is also to look at his mother. Because even if you're, certain Jews want to argue that Jesus broke the law of Moses, which they can never prove from the Old Testament scriptures, never. Um, how can you have anything against the Virgin Mary, the mother of yeah. God? How can you not say that mother standing on the cross, seeing her son crucified, it's breaking her heart, even though she did it willingly for the sake of our salvation. We know that from the faith. But even just looking at her, to insult Mary, anybody who insults Mary, um, reveals the, the hell that's in their heart. Yes. You just can't do that. You can't be indifferent to a mother who's losing their son, even if you've got something against the son. Yeah, I worry about a lot of like uh, I especially like Protestant online things that go on. I can understand not grasping the Catholic concept of Mary being sinless and stuff. But there are some people that go on these tirades about Mary and talk about her as if as if she's just some woman. It's like the God of the universe, the God who created everything is going to come into the world and be be amongst us. And you think the woman he's going to, you don't think she has to be sinless? Like, yeah. you really have to think about that. Like, God, who created everything, is going to come into the world. Of course we get down and worship that. Not worship mm -hmm. in the sense of she's God, but you get on your knees and revere that. It's like this woman is about to receive the God who created everything. How can you be so callous to think that she's just some woman? Well, y yesterday on the Feast of Her Nativity, the second antiphon, for Lords and Vespers, speaks of um, today is the birthday of Our Lady whose glorious life illumines the whole church, which is true. If you think of um, material goods like a cake, the more you take of it, the less other people are going to have, right? Or the more people who want a bit, the smaller they're going to get. Yeah. But spiritual goods, immaterial goods, don't diminish no matter how many people participate. So like the number seven, you can never run out of the number seven. Yeah. Or if the truth goes out there, it never runs out because more and more people know this truth. And the higher spiritual goods are actually persons. They're what God has made in a soul. So this immaculately conceived soul of Our Lady is the highest created good um, as, a, as a, a person, of a creature. Um, and she is now reigning in heaven, yeah. pouring out more good than any human being can upon the church. Jesus had assumed human nature, but he's a divine person um, united with the human nature. But, and so I'll let the, the role of the good, basically, and the, the, the humble seven-year-old, the powerless lay person, is greater for moving the whole universe than any pope or claimant to be pope or any bank or any globalists they have nothing c compared to a, a will that decides it's just going to keep giving for God and seeking him 
no matter all the obstacles thrown in the path. Yeah. Like if you look into the abyss, it sucks you down. You had Michael Hitchborn on talking about Talhad de Chardin, right? I've, I've just been reading some, I, I don't read a lot of this stuff because it's so horrible, Kabbalah texts. Um, it sounds like the author of the Quran on LSD. It's so <laughs> nuts. And yeah. Well, that's why I asked, do you think he was actually on hallucinogens or do you think he really had an no, encounter it's, with it's, demonic? It's the same voice that you get in the Gnostic heresies <laughs> of the early centuries. Um, and then you hear it in the Quran, the same voice. It's it's poetry, but it's it doesn't it's not clear, it's not reasonable, mm-hmm. it's not beautiful, it's mesmerizing poetry, but it's all a lie. You, you were talking about the narrative before, establishing a narrative. It, 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 most narratives are just evil. It's an attempt to do what God did by speaking to create and what the priest does in Holy Mass saying, this is my body. That this is the truth, which is creative, the highest truth by which we live. And the devil wants to assert another uh, a lie for the sake of murder. And, and that's what, why they build up these narratives, trying to force people's minds into a certain well, you see how important narrative is, right? What, like, wh- how does God reveal Himself to us? He re- reveals Himself to us through a story, right? Like, there's something so powerful about stories that they have shaped the entire Western world as we come through time. I mean, the stories you hear in the Old Testament and the New literally created the world, the modern world that we see today. So, if they can capture the power of story and give us a new story to live by. Like the whole idea of what we're doing with the the Christian story is you are part of it. Everyone wants to be part of something big, right? And when you really see your place in the Christian story, you are just as important as any saint that came before us. It's it's a reality that matters, not in fact, the story. The story can't create the reality unless it's the one that God tells, right? Yeah. Um, and that we're participating in him, in him, in reality. And this idea of a story at Hollywood is brilliant at telling stories. Yeah. But like, yeah, that is a narrative, a false narrative. A false narrative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the Kabbalah text written in the middle ages that echo the Quran and the Gnostics, because the Islam basically was a product of the Jews in Saudi Arabia telling the polytheists that our prophet is coming. Moses promised us the prophet in Deuteronomy 8.18 who will come and he will uh, put you all down and you will worship in the way that we say. We've had this promised prophet. So then Satan and Muhammad's wife and uncle get him and say, you're the prophet that Moses spoke of. Now, if they, if the Jews had accepted Jesus by that stage, they would say, they well, Jesus is well. the one that Moses we wouldn't have had islam and it back it backfired on them um denying jesus and it's the same story in the reformation and it's the same story it's in in modern times that's all going to be in the second volume of my book if you believe because you've been you've been researching look there's something to michael e michael jones's book the jewish revolutionary spirit like when you reject logos it, it's sin darkens the intellect and it will actually put you into this revolutionary spirit where you just want to overturn everything. And there is Jews that are behind 
a lot of these major events in history that are counter to us, to our story. Yeah, I, there's a, a Jewish writer, Israel Sharak, who is, um, he's quite, let's, he's so open about the problems of Judaism, but in partly he's resenting the rabbis and the control that they've had. He sees that as very oppressive and totalitarian. The most totalitarian, totalitarian society, he says, is classical Judaism from the second to the 18th century, how oppressive they were to their communities. Now, I, I, it's not, I don't think it's quite what he says because for, he thinks that any religious order is oppressive. But yeah. this is the problem. When the poor Jews got emancipated, they're like psychotic going breaking out into what they think is freedom. We have to throw off every order which is oppressing our spirit. And that's why they become these revolutionaries Mm -hmm. and they lead the revolutions. Like Solzhenitsyn said in Russia that the majority of Jews were not revolutionaries and the majority of revolutionaries were not Jews, but the Jews are very overrepresented among Mm -hmm. the Bolsheviks. Like the State Department now, most Jews aren't pushing for war with Russia and most people pushing for war with Russia are not Jews. But the predominant weight fully over overrepresented. I think 2.5% of Americans are Jewish, 25% of Biden's cabinet are Jewish. How is that possible? Yeah. At, at least. Um, and it's even worse in the State Department. And they they, they hate Russia. Um you think that goes back to to the time of the World War II, the the whole the Bolshevik uh, Revolution and stuff, all the way, all the way. The, the more you look into it, just the further, further, further back you go, everything comes back to the crucifixion and to the Garden of Eden, which is the same scene as the crucifixion, but seen through a different filter. God laid it all out there to show what will be fulfilled on Calvary in in a dark way that gets transformed into light by that hidden will in the hearts of Mary and Jesus, the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart, who took all the evil that the world could throw at them, all of it, and they did not sin at all, and they didn't hate uh, and wish the destruction of those who were doing it. They wished for their and prayed for their conversion. Um, But if they don't convert, they get damned. But to to take all the evil of the world and, and not waver from wanting to do the will of the father that's just so good it's so good um and when we trace the evils of the world around us they all lead back yeah to our reaction to the crucifixion yeah yeah we were talking we were talking the other day just how uh because we were talking about like how they're they're trying to build uh not build they're trying to grow these fake human embryos and they're always trying to do this weird stuff with science where they're making human animal hybrids and all of it comes back to that no matter how much we think we have advanced we are never changed we are doing the same thing that lucifer does before the fall and we're doing the same thing with the rebellion in the garden of eden every single thing that humans do is always they want to make themselves god yeah and it's going to reach a point where I think they they completely destroy their own platform of the rejection of God. It will lead into the abyss and death. We'll see that happen on earth in the last generation. And those who have sought to adore God will still be standing 
and the life from them will proliferate. That's why now parents who love their children are defeating all the globalists. They're yeah. defeating Satan by loving their children. It's that easy. Yeah. And it's something you can do constantly. You you were talking about Our Lady before, and it's like, if you go back to even St. John Bosco's dream, he talks about like the boat in, in, in the rough waters, and there's two pillars, and one is the Eucharist, and one is Our Lady. And I think what we're seeing in the church right now is everything that we thought was the church is going to go through incredible tribulation. So I, I really think we're in the tribulation right now. You know, it's spiritual at the moment. It hasn't become it, but you really are seeing the battle of Armageddon between these other gods trying to rise up and usurp God's real throne. And there's a spiritual war going on. But if we keep our eyes focused on the Eucharist and our lady, those will be the things that, prevent us from falling for the, some of the deceptions that are going to be coming our way. Yeah. And they'll bring you into contact with like-minded people who you will need to stand in the end. We won't stand on our own. Um, you can be martyred on your own, but to, 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 if that's your calling. But to come through, we need these networks. So we have time now. I think what we're seeing now is that everything's going global, but it's certainly not yet heated up as to where it's going to get. I mean, it's going to get nasty. I don't. It'll be fine though, because God prepares mm -hmm. His children for what's coming. He's preparing us. No one will have to face more than they can handle. I think these conversations are part of God preparing us, right? Like even yeah. us just having these conversations. You were saying Russia and America, like they're all, and even the Abu Dhabi thing and that interfaith building they're building. You think they're actually going to gear towards? putting a new a temple on the Temple Mount? Yes. And it, when people are trying to work out what's going wrong in the world, I don't believe human beings are capable of a multi-generational conspiracy where for hundreds of years you are aiming at a particular goal um, if it's purely for self-interest. You don't sacrifice your life to make yourself rich because if you die, mm -hmm. your riches are worth nothing. But the dream of rebuilding the temple has been there for 2,000 years. And it's the devil who knows where all this is going. Like, the whole transgender thing, like your body is a temple of God. You mess with the body, try and change male and female. The spiritual meaning of this is trying to, the male represents the divine and the female represents the created. You're trying to change the positions of creature and creator, of God and man, by messing with the bodies of men or women. That's what I, that's, I think, the, and rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem is basically stating that Jesus Christ didn't raise the temple on the third day with the resurrection. And so you reject everything that God has given to us to do yeah. that. Now, that goal has always been sought, but only the devil has known the steps like the Arianism. Arius was a Jew, and we, we don't hear that. And then... Islam and then the Albigensian heresies and then the Reformation and the um, before that the Renaissance which is very Kabbalistic and then the Enlightenment which is nothing to do with light it's to do with Lucifer the, yeah. the fallen light and then the world wars um, and then the COVID lockdowns it's all part of his long-term plan to, to, to bring this about. and But I don't think you can blame human beings for that. We're not capable of that much evil. We're, we're only capable of a certain amount of evil in our own life. And yeah. you might think ahead 
for your children's generation. But you're not but thinking you, four or five no, generations. It doesn't, now, doesn't we did, sense, yeah. now, we did in the Middle Ages as like the church thought in centuries. So they would build uh, a cathedral that would take four or five hundred years to build. But that's because the church was thinking. But it's a spiritual good. Yes. Yeah. And you can for a spiritual good that actually translates yeah. onto an eternal scale. Yeah, and, and and the Holy Spirit is the one who is, is the general who assembles that. He has the strategy. That's why he's not flapping by everything that's going wrong now. It's, yeah. it's like he's the master of 12-dimensional chess, you know. He knows that the devil is just playing into God's hands. Like with the crucifixion, you kill Jesus and what happens? The whole world receives the light of the resurrection if their eyes are open, if their hearts are open. Yeah. Um, and the same thing's happening now or in the last generations. It's actually the, 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 which is why if you can bear with evil now without becoming evil, if you can pray for your persecutors, um, we have to reach this crunch point. I'm not saying you roll over and and don't fight injustice. Of course, we should fight injustice, yeah. fight lies. But in the end, if it takes us, it takes us, right? Um, and it, it's all God building up His temple in heaven we become quarried stones here on earth but end up being assembled in this heaven there for eternity yeah and um, i i don't so i'm getting lost no it's okay so it, like i think people really need to understand the significance of the temple in the old testament it is everything for judaism right so when jesus says tear down this temple and in three days i will rebuild it the idea that jesus's body is the temple and that when when the when the first temple is destroyed that christians really understood we no longer need to offer sacrifice in this building in israel because jesus is the new temple well, and that, this is that was the, the second temple for the record. i'm sorry yeah second temple uh, but jesus is the new temple and this kingdom no you no longer have to travel to jerusalem to be in in this kingdom because wherever the king is there is the kingdom and wherever the eucharist is celebrated there is the king so you no no longer have this geographical focused temple the temple is everywhere the mass is celebrated mm -hmm. so this idea that you need another temple and even this this thing that francis is doing with building this interfaith house over there and i think with the synod what they're doing with ecumenism all of it is a conditioning for us to think that you can have this brotherhood of man without jesus christ as the new temple and i everybody we were saying the other night that everybody seems to be getting sidetracked into these little things with the synod thinking it's going to be about women deacons and it's going to be about blessing same-sex union yeah those are going to probably be pushed but the real diabolical thing is this interfaith communion that francis is you saw this brazilian bishop gave the eucharist to a muslim you're yeah. seeing that they just want to give communion to everyone because everyone is welcome everyone is welcome and it's mm. it's the most diabolical thing ever because the sin of judas which really comes down to not believing the eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is what's really being pushed here. And you see in the defense of that Brazilian bishop, the his uh, another bishop came out to defend and said, is it really that big of a deal that we gave the Eucharist to a month? Yes, it is the biggest deal in the world. Yes, you're totally right. And the, um, the 
attempt to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, I think this is the devil's desire to insult God. Because if you say now, I follow the old covenant, right? Well, you can't because there is no temple. The 613 commandments in the Torah, uh, most of them concern offering sacrifices in the temple in Mm -hmm. Jerusalem. It's impossible to fulfill it. If that temple were rebuilt, a, a person could argue, I'm obeying Moses, which God commanded through Moses that we cut the throat of a lamb for the Paschal feast. And that's what I'm doing. Therefore, this must be pleasing to God. Whereas, in fact, to do that means that you reject that Jesus Christ is the true lamb of God um, who's slaughtered for the salvation of the world. And then the devil will have caught God in a a contradiction. Because if you could obey Moses, um, then why should you obey Jesus? You could say, oh, I was in good faith. I I was following Moses. But it's impossible to follow Moses. It's impossible. And that's why the creation of Islam, right, It was a reaction to this. It was not just the Jews who did it, but they created the impetus with saying the prophet is going to come, the man of the book who's going to conquer the world. Um, Islam comes and ends up taking control of the Temple Mount, and they've never been able to push them off. What would happen if they still had Christian in charge of Jerusalem, the Holy Land? We would have given it back 50 years ago with Vatican II. (laughs) Oh, it belongs to the Jews. We'll give it back. God needed because of man's stupidity and the infidelity in the church, he needs these hardcore Muslims who are like, there's no way we're giving this to the Jews. And, and it's, so it was actually, it's backfired on the Jews. Yeah. That it never works out. Denying Jesus never works for you. It's so funny. And, oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's not funny, but it's so, it's, you see the providence in all of it, right? Yes. Like after Vatican II, we would have given that back to them. Yeah, there's some, a lot of Catholics think that Islam is the main enemy. Now, Islam is just totally against the Holy Trinity, the incarnation, the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. It's from Satan, right? But they're not the deepest, highest level of the problem. They're not. And in fact, they're part of the solution. So this idea of invading Iraq and then Afghanistan and then Libya and Syria, destroying Syria, that's a, a Jewish desire to, to destroy the Muslim world, to cause chaos in the Middle East so that Israel is the only stable place. Um, and America is doing for the Jews what England did up to World War I for them. And yes. before that, you see the Germans doing and the French doing. And it, uh, it, it's just because we take our eyes off Christ and the crucifixion, that then the only other story in town starts to take over. Well, you see in the Old Testament, when the Jews become unfaithful, God raises up the, the Assyrians to go and, and chastise the, the Jews when they are unfaithful. So as, the Babylonians. We, so we, as the New Jerusalem, are becoming unfaithful. God is going to use mm-hmm. Islam to punish us and to bring us back to him, right? It's not going to be... I, I think people have a fundamental misunderstanding of God's mercy and God's wrath, right? Like... God's wrath is when he gives you up to your own devices. Mm-hmm. When right. he just when he just says, oh, okay, you really want what you want? Go ahead. I'm right. not going to intervene anymore. Go and live how you want. Go ahead. Do what you want. God's mercy is when he chastises us. Yeah. And he and like a good father punishes so his child which, to bring him back. Which one is the synod on synodality? Is, is that his wrath or his mercy? Because that 
that's so awful. But I think that's it's just making things clearer for people. It's it's not going to be easy, and a lot of people will go with that. Whatever mm-hmm. they say, they will go with it. Yeah, you see it, but, but it will be it, it will be um, just m- more grace than ever to be true to tradition to the faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. You know how many conversions I have seen in my life over since Francis. Mm-hmm. Francis is a chastisement, right? He is because he's he, first off. Without Francis, the world would never have gone into COVID. Like if you had even Benedict would have never, you know, and I'm not, I know a lot of people say Benedict is what I like. He would never have allowed them to do what Francis allowed them. Francis not only allowed it to happen, Francis helped them. Well, he was pushing the the vaccine, saying that. Pushing it to the the point where I couldn't get my exemption because the Pope said, you have to get this. It's a moral obligation. It was crazy what Catholics had to deal with because the Pope was on their side during this. So, but COVID woke so many people up. It, it's when you have these horrible things happen, those are chastisements from God out of mercy to, hey, wake up. Look at what's going on. The world is collapsing around you. Wake up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think even, all right, so just to get back where we were going with this, the the interfaith Abu Dhabi thing that they're doing, that, that building, I think is a preparation for the temple being built again. And I think it's yes. going to, they're go, you're going to even see certain Muslims get behind it because. Oh yeah. They'll get bored. They'll get bored. <laughs> you, mean, you think they're fanatical for Islam. And there's a lot of other things going on there, yeah. especially look at what Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, uh, uh, Qatar, what they're willing to do for the global project. Yeah, because of oil money. Yeah. Um, but in in the end, the um, the Jews who have wanted for two thousand years the rebuilding of the temple and it will get rebuilt, then the Antichrist will take it and tell them, "You're not going to cut the throat of a Paschal Lamb here. You're going to worship me," and they're going to say, "No way, no yeah. way." They will be the most hardcore Catholics we've ever seen since the apostles. It's going to be amazing because they're going to realize that 2,000 years plus of the rejection of Christ to get this done, and it's just fallen into the hands of the one who's going to deny them what they wanted. I think this is when the veil will be lifted from their hearts, if we pray for that properly on Good Friday. So that's so that's kind of the that's kind of the thesis you're coming to, right? So that you think that's the conversion will come after this project. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all saying like we're, we're in the end times and there has to be a mass conversion of the Jews. And it's, it's, it's how would something like that happen? That kind of really does make sense. Now, do you think, so I got, yeah, that, I guess that would work. Cause all the church fathers say the, the antichrist will be, um, like they, they actually say the temple will be a physical temple, right? Like that the Antichrist will sit on the temple where, I mean, if, because the the new temple is the Catholic church. So I always yeah. wondered like if there were any fathers who like actually said it would be the same, you know, that it would be the temple. Yeah, it, it's not totally 
clear obviously and it won't be until it yeah. happens but there are some of the fathers certainly who, who believe there'll be an actual temple in stone temple in jerusalem but you know everything has a true interpretation that's spiritual and i think the the physical manifestation of it before our eyes is like for a lot of protestants believe that that's fulfilling the old testament because yeah. they've been judaized you know they're against the papacy and the virgin mary and the sacraments and the mass because these are the things that the Judaism hates the most, and the Protestants have fallen for that, um, and they support Israel. Like they, yes. it's so yes. wild. So they're against. Yes, it's and they, so don't, they don't know it. They think they're doing the work of God, and yeah. it's actually opposed. But we need to be, thank God that we have the faith and pray for those who don't. As we see, I keep going on about Saint Stephen who was stoned to death by the Jews for saying how Jesus Christ fulfills the whole Old Testament and that they were committing idolatry and are not pleasing to God with what they're doing in the temple um, yeah. and that Jesus is the true temple. And then he sees Jesus in heaven. Um, he is our example. That If we understand the evil that's being worked out against the church, we have to say it but just expect to be stoned to death for it. Yeah. Yeah. And don't pick up a stone because you ain't going to do any stoning yourself. You don't need to. It's not going to help. You just join the other team when you do that. Yeah. There's, 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 I, I say in, um, if you believe Moses, the first volume, that Catholics and Jews are brothers. And there's two ways of getting that wrong. There's the lovey-dovey kind of, yeah, brothers means that we're on the same page and we hug and that's all brothers do. No, brothers fight. Oh, yeah. This is the truth. Look at Cain and Abel. Look up Ishmael and Isaac or Jacob and Esau or what Joseph's brothers tried to do to him. This is the relation between the brothers of Judaism and Christianity. Yeah. It, they want to kill the younger brother. Yeah. Right. That's what the Torah is all about. And yet it ends up with the reconciliation of Aaron and Moses at God's holy mountain with the Pax, which is in the mass. It's, so we need to be as patient as Abel and Isaac. Um, and Jacob, and Joseph, and then it will bring about through all this suffering. Then also we will because those Jews who see the Antichrist using them, betraying them, they will see that the Catholics have never stopped loving them and praying for them, yeah. and taking all the crap they've thrown at us for two thousand years. Yeah, um, and they'll so with Saint Augustine and Saint Mary Magdalene, it was there, and Saint Paul, their sins that drove their zeal after their conversion. Uh, Saint John and Our Lady never, had, and Saint Joseph, they didn't have this great background of sin, and 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 they are close to God like nobody. Yeah, but, but also Saint Paul, Saint Mary Magdalene, Saint Augustine, they're also way up there, and they were driven by contrition for their sins. So what's it going to be like for that last generation of Jews who are going to be thinking, whoa, we, we, we've done so much against the one who we have sought. Yeah. Um, and now is our chance to stand for the truth and defeat the bastard who has laid this up from the beginning, Satan. And they will. They will. Yeah, they're they're going to see, because they are trying to undo the the Western Christian order. And they're going to see the hell that comes when you get, because it is God's spirit that covered the earth 
after after the ascension. God's spirit mm-hmm. covers the earth and it subdues the earth. So the Jews, even though they're in a strange land now because they're in Christian world, it's still a very calm, peaceful world with God's spirit covering it. So when they actually get rid of that and undo it, they're going to be in, in such a worse place. Well, they tear down the cross. The only way to have an ordered society is under the cross, under Christ the King. And when you have emancipation of the Jews, that basically, you know, a Judeo-Christian culture is a contradiction. There's no such thing. They are principles opposed to each other. It means removing the cross from the public space, from the courtrooms, from the schools, from the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And then you end up prosecuting people who don't use people's fake pronouns. And basically it's Christ must be dethroned and dragged down if if they will have their way. Um, But then they open the space to the demons. And the worst things in history happen. Um, and that's how it's all, all going to end on just a much bigger scale. Yeah. Um, but that will be the biggest wake-up call. Even the idea that, like you were saying, um, that the Jews and Christians are brothers, and it's really the relationship between Cain and Abel. If people really understand how important like being the firstborn was to ancient cultures, right? Like the firstborn would get the entire inheritance. And what you see throughout scripture is the, the inheritance was supposed to go to the firstborn ends up going to the second every time. Right. So you have Jacob and Esau, Jacob, like usurps and gets the inheritance, right? You get, mm-hmm. you get uh, where Israel is God's firstborn, but then it's the church that gets the inheritance. The Gentiles get the inheritance. It's mm-hmm. and it's throughout the entire story of the Old Testament. So it, it's just made me re- like think of that when you were talking about the relationship of the brothers, right? So it, it's we're we're coming up on some very interesting things, and we're seeing prophecy fulfilled right in front of our faces. Yeah. Well, God maintains his order because his son is his firstborn from all eternity in the yeah. spiritual order. But in the material order, Adam was born. Adam is the Jesus. first. Right. Yeah. So, so, but we, that's why we're to see the truth is fulfilled only when the material follows the spiritual. If you try to get the spiritual to follow the material, that's like a woman running the house instead of a husband. Yeah. That's not that order. That's what's happening in the church right now. Yes. Yeah. They're getting, well, yeah, we know. <laughs> that's really what's happening. Look, the, the whole thing that's happening in the church is is the the spiritual trying to follow the material. That's such a great yeah. insight, right? So, but God's true to his word about the firstborn and his order, and and yet with the usurper who comes through, like Jacob, which is what the church does also, the Gentiles yeah. come through and usurp. But as Adam is before the Jews, so the Jews are the younger brother of mankind but the church is the younger brother of the jews but the last generation of jews who convert will be the younger brother of the gentile christians so it's yeah and you're through you you see saint paul actually talks about it right he says don't brag that you've been grafted onto the tree because just Mm -hmm. as they were taken off the tree you can be taken off and there will be a regrafting of the jews at the end of time and you're seeing now the people that like we are rejecting our God right now as, as a culture, as, I mean, we were a Christianized culture 
Mm-hmm. And we are rejecting our God for these foreign gods. And this is the same thing that Israel does. And you're right. seeing it happen before our eyes. And we are going to, not you as an individual, but the Gentiles who were once Christian are rejecting their God. They will be cut off from the branch again, and the Jews will be grafted back in. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And when he says, you know, all Israel will be saved in the end, this is what we're waiting on. We're waiting on. The same thing that that the Jews did, we're doing now. Yeah, which is why there's no sense in just blaming the bankers or the warmongers or the pornographers, right? But they show us what our worst sins can be. And so if... um, I've I've forgotten what you were just talking of where we might put the blame... Where actually they're, they're showing us what's happening in our own soul. So St. Paul yeah. says everything written in the Old Testament, I think in 1 Corinthians 10, he says it's written for our benefit and learning. Mm-hmm. Like with the going with Moses, baptized in Moses in the cloud, whatever, or the manna in the desert. That's to teach us about the sacraments and the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. But also the rebellion of Israel against God is to teach about our own rebellion. And the, what we see the church rebelling against God now, or I mean, obviously many members of the church, it's not for us just to attack Francis and the Novus Ordo. Yeah. You think, well, how pure is my soul for God? How pure is my love? And wow, the, the amount of sins you find. Yeah. And yeah, because the wheat and the tares or the or the or the wheat and the chaff is not just like when God's gonna separate the, the, the wheat and the chaff, it's it's in your own heart. Like every one of us have this tendency towards evil. And it's and, and I think a lot of people get caught up thinking that as long as I believe the right thing, that's the same thing as actually living it out. Like you're not going to be, you're, you're going to be judged on your holiness. You're not going to be judged on if you had the correct opinion. It's, it's so much deeper than just saying, okay, I don't agree with what they're doing. Like, I think that marriage is between a man and a woman. Like, great. I'm glad that you have, you know, natural logic. I mean, that you could, that you can follow the natural order, but if you're not living out a life of holiness, you'll be judged just as harshly as those people pushing for the revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the- it's the, it's the belief. I wouldn't, the belief ultimately that God wants to forgive us if we're willing to believe that our contrition will work as mercy. But the more that you sin, the more you convince yourself, oh, I've gone too far, I've gone too far. He can't possibly forgive this because you're looking at your own judgment, not his way of judging. And then you stop asking for his forgiveness and mercy and you start trying to justify your sin to say it's not a sin. And this is the way that sin separates you from the truth about him. Yeah, the, the repentance is the most important part. So when you see they're saying the Eucharist is for a medicine for sinners, that is not correct. Like, which Father Altman said beautifully, right? About how the, the church teaching is so clear that if you have a mortal sin in your conscience, you have to go to sacramental confession. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And that cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. And the people who are changing it, um, they're, they're just directly against God. Yeah, the, the, the receiving receiving in a state of mortal sin is worse than any mortal sin you could commit. 
And to to not go to communion because you're in a state of mortal sin and you know you need to find a confession is almost the second most pleasing thing you can do to God after a worthy communion. So you can either please God with a worthy communion or you can please him by saying, dear God, I want to come receive you, but I cannot because I need to go to confession first. So again, no one's cut off from God who seeks him. And he will give, if your desire is to get confession, he'll give you a chance to do it. That's literally the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? The tax collector goes up. The Pharisee says, God, thank you for not making me like these tax collectors. And the tax collector goes up and he says, Lord, I cannot even face you. Please forgive. Like, so when you don't receive communion at mass, because you know you have something on your heart, you are being the tax collector in that scenario saying, Lord, I can't even face you right now. I am so sorry. Please, like, I won't even approach your altar right now. That is infinitely more pleasing to God. Than mm-hmm. one who walks up with pride saying, well, I'm clean and I, yeah. you know, this and that. It's it, like you said, it's the second most pleasing thing besides going and repenting and receiving that, that sacramental mm-hmm. absolution and then going and receiving. Mm-hmm. So father, this is great, man. I, we gotta, we gotta do these more often. Right. <laughs> um, I have my daughters. Uh, we're having a family party today, and it's showing rain. So if we, <laughs> if everybody could just pray for good weather today, my wife is a nervous wreck. We have about a hundred people coming to my house soon. Well, it's uniquely, I wish we could send you the English weather because it's actually sunny for the first time in twenty years. I'm sweating really? away here. It's so hot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I hope you have a some space outside with the good weather. I hope everybody enjoyed this father. We'll send you the entire file. You can clip anything. You can put the whole thing up on your channel. I mean, I'm, I think there's a couple of times where we got a little on the, on the edge of what is acceptable to our YouTube overlords. So, um, mm-hmm. but we'll definitely send you anything. I'm going to, um, when we get off, I'm going to like, maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll send, I'm going to send you another list of dates. I want to, I want to do these conversations as often as we can. I love talking to you. I think you're one of the most brilliant, uh, people that we have i enjoy very much being on your show and you've said a few times about um trying to find the positive right and and not just i I think that's because you're both young and you have this (laughs) false idea that the goodness that is in you is in the world it's not yeah the world is dark it's Mm -hmm. really dark um but we need God makes us young for a reason, right? And let's just go through that phase for a reason. That's what holds things up. This people's desire for and belief in the good. Yeah. Um and we we need both. Yeah. That and then the the the, the facing up to the darkness. Um so I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah. You're saying I, we're I, holding I really, stuff up. Oh man, that's a <laughs> But I What's really want to try to try to help people f- not fall into despair because I think especially like the things are so dark in the world, right? Like, yeah, but really- if we're not laughing, right, we've, we've not got it. We've missed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, we need to be so laughing. That- and that's what you do, right? That's why I, lo- I love the short videos you have sometimes at the beginning. Um, <laughs> they are every my son was down in the basement the other day, and I'm scrolling through trying to find a funny video for the beginning of the show. He's like, what don't, aren't, don't you have a Catholic show? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, we're just trying to find something goofy at the beginning of the show just to make people laugh before we get going. I'm sometimes glad you it's get goofy it. and funny. Sometimes it's absolutely terrible. Anthony, 
<laughs> I'm glad you get it though, because some people, some of the comments we get are people are just like, you guys are just so irreverent. And it's like, yeah, we're a bit irreverent. I don't know what to tell you guys. All right. We're also just men. Uh, Father is right. Anthony and Rob are like hobbits, like Sam and Proto. We're hobbits. <laughs> An Italian hobbit. Can you imagine? Uh, Father, well, I'm going to send you some more dates. Let's pick, let's do this again, man. I love learning from you. You yeah. you're, you're you're so insightful and brilliant. And I I'm telling you, I stole some of the things from our conversation last time, and I brought it to my last talk. So Good. anything we talk about, it goes in the memory bank, and I really I really try to take it in. You, well, I'll be glad to join you again. You you're saying you you're having him on just to steal steal all of his thoughts. <laughs> That's learn, basically what you just said. You're gonna get in trouble learn. if you steal my thoughts. <laughs> you won't be popular. No, but if you go back and listen to that talk, you'll hear. I mean, it's you really helped me like come in and understand that in that last conversation. If you guys didn't hear our first conversation with Father Maudsley, it is so I listened to it three times, and I hate hearing myself. It's like. To, to hear your own voice, but you were just, you really like opened my, my eyes to some really deep concepts. I'm so grateful for that conversation. Well, thanks um, for the governor. Yeah. I I'll be honest. I hope one day father and I are at the same conference somewhere. That would be amazing. If, if, are you going to the Catholic identity conference this year? I'm not. You're not. Okay. Well, maybe next year, if you get invited, maybe I'll just go in as an attendee and I'll come and meet you and we'll get to hang out. If you're ever coming to America, let us know. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right, Rob. Let's yep. let's wrap it. Oh, do you have anything you want to promote? Um, but the books, the books, obviously. Yeah, I hate I hate pushing the books like marketing. Right, I'm useless at marketing. Yeah. I think if you say something that's true and good, it will just gather its own momentum, which is maybe a bit naive. You do need to push things. Um, but I'm grateful for for any exposure that, that the books get. Like, and I'm I'm building up now to If You Believe in Moses, Volume Two. This is why I got myself suspended from the priesthood. By the way, was to write this book because what I'm saying in this book, you cannot say as a member of any Catholic institute on this planet, right? You you will be kicked out. Yeah. Um. And I thought, well, I better jump before so I don't bring hell down onto the people I love in in the church. And it, it was to do with the COVID regime and with Francis's traditionus custodis. The forces behind them are the same, one yeah. and the same, um, and we will overcome it. But we need to say things that can't normally be said. How far um, along are you on that volume? I'm, I've, I've written it. I'm now re-editing like the third draft, and I'm two thirds of the way through the third draft. That's I stayed up literally till eight o'clock this morning. Yeah, I see. You're very tired. Today. <laughs> uh, so it will come out 19th November. But the first four books in the series are to help people get into the Old Testament. If we don't understand the Old Testament about how it's all about the crucifixion, it's all about Our Lady's victory, it's all about Holy Mass. That's one book, one, two, and three. And the Jews will convert at the end. That's book four. Because what I'm going to say in this next book, if I, if you just say what the problem is, people are going to get mad. Mm -hmm. But we need to have this confidence, this serenity, that it's all going to come out so cool in the end that we can love our enemy, really, really love our enemy. Guys, and there's $7 each, these books. $7, like go buy the whole set. Or if you have Kindle Unlimited, they're free. Right. Yeah. They're so, they're so, he's, you know, like you can see. And they're audio books now. Three of them are audio books. That took a lot of, um, a long time to do. In, in, narrated by you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Awesome. That's awesome because when I read Crucifixion to Creation, I read it in your voice. Huh. Like I in my head, I actually heard you reading it in my Anthony, in my head. please don't ever narrate a book. No one wants to read in your voice. <laughs> I can't pronounce All anything right. correctly. There's no way. Uh, um, also, mm. your your YouTube channel, Scripture and Tradition, right? Yeah. Scripture um, and Tradition on YouTube. So Yeah, that's um, to put out the same ideas as the books, but um, you're trying to do it in a, in a sensible order. Yeah. And, well. All right, so you're five hours ahead of us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, man, I'd love to do like a, a roundtable with – a couple of the people that we've really gotten to know on here. Like I'd love to have you on with Kennedy Hall and maybe Joshua Charles and just get like a different, a a nice group of guys together that I think really do some wonderful, insightful things and just see where the conversation goes, man, without a plan and just let's see where it goes. All right. That might be fun to do. So, all right, Rob, take us out. Father, thank you so much. You're welcome. God bless you all. all.